Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 109 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, I chat with Brooke Robishaw. You may know her from Seek Purpose. She is a podcaster, she is an author, she is a mom, and she is a sober girl. On today's episode, Brooke walks us through her recovery journey. Now, I have to say, Brooke is a friend of mine, and I've never heard her recovery story before, and this was incredible. It was an just an epic journey, and you really don't know someone until you know where they came from. Brooke and I also share in common family who are also in addiction and recovery, and this episode really, really hit home hard. It is definitely a bit of a tearjerker, and I just really love how open and honest Brooke is with her story and with what she's going through today. It's really, really brave of her, and this episode is just fantastic. So let's get into it. A common theme throughout a lot of my podcast guests' recovery journey starts with their first 30 days. The first 30 days are the perfect opportunity to build a solid framework around your recovery and to really try on what sobriety has to offer. If you want to know what you have to gain in 30 days by going booze-free, take the 30 days to gain booze-free challenge now at a sobergirlsguide.com. Miss Brooke. Hey. What is going on? Okay. The tables have turned. I know. You have had me on your podcast twice now. Twice and a half. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Twice and a half. (laughs) And now the time has come. (laughs) It is all about you, baby. We are turning the tables. How does it feel? Um, I'm a little more nervous on this side, I think. I just, uh, I've only been on one other person's podcast before, so I'm not used to this side of things, but I'm excited. 
no, it's great. I have to do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> I have to ask all the questions and listen. And you just get to sit back and relax and tell us about your fabulous self. So let's get this party started. Uh, you are a podcaster. You yes. run Seek Purpose, the Instagram account and fabulous website. And you guys have awesome merch. You are an author. You are a mama. Mm-hmm. And you are a sober girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to, I mean, obviously your life is like fantastic now. It's a lot better. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I wanted you to bring us back to what life was like before your recovery. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a really shitty place to go back to. But <laughs> um, Well, my addiction really started when I was a teenager. Um, before that, everyone kind of talks about how they're the black sheep of the family. I felt like I was the white sheep of the family. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> okay. there's addiction and um, like alcohol, drug abuse, everything in my family, and everyone was kind of mm. hardcore. We I grew up in a grow up, okay, and I was like wanted to learn about Jesus and like <laughs> getting two shoes and like um, we had lived in this really nice neighborhood. And the neighbors all did like Bible studies in the morning and they ate dinner together. And there were like these happy little white picket fence families. Mm. And I was so desperate for that. I would like make little chore charts for my house and like, put them up on the fridge and like try and like mother my my mom to like get our house to be like this little happy home. But yeah. it just wasn't. And um, so I didn't feel like I fit in at home and I didn't feel like I fit in in the neighborhood because everyone else was all happy and I felt very unwanted and like I didn't belong. And so in high school, um, I found acting and I got involved in the improv team and I started having crushes on guys (laughs) (laughs) and started getting attention from guys and started feeling that little like, oh, I feel wanted and I feel accepted. And so that hole was really filled and it, it was amazing. And when those guys introduced me to drugs and alcohol, all I wanted was to fit in. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. Even though mm-hmm. I swore up and down, I was never going to end up like my family. And it was so not who I was. But I thought I thought drinking was so cliche. Like I thought I was going to be cool. <laughs> yeah, I think we all think that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like now I'm going to fit in with my family and whatever. Yeah. And it didn't make me cool. In fact, I got more dorky probably when I first started drinking. <laughs> but, um, I felt free. That's what I felt. Mm. I felt like I didn't care if I didn't belong. I didn't care if I was a nerd. I didn't care if I was immature mm. or too soft or whatever. I just felt freedom. So I ran with it. And within two years of like picking up my first drink, I was a full-blown addict. I had like crashed my car into my boyfriend's house and almost killed him and my best friend in this in the passenger seat whoa and I was like not even 18 yet and and I got out of the car and instead I had no idea what had just happened like it didn't even register with me that this was real it felt like I was kind of in a dream and I was definitely in a blackout yeah so I remember just sitting on the lawn and people are like screaming around me and like, is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, how could you do this? And like, what's wrong with you? And mm-hmm. I just got up and I walked into, I lived in Burnaby at the time, walked into Central Park and found some guy smoking crack and like tried crack for the first time. Like, that's how I dealt with that situation. Wow. 
So yeah, I took a nosedive. That was like two years, like try alcohol. This is where it gets me. And so I tried um, getting sober because I like that was a bottom for me. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it should have been. And I made it a couple weeks and then I would pick up again and I'd make it a couple weeks and then I drink again. And it was alcohol was always the thing that would get me started. And I kept trying to control it and I couldn't control it. I didn't think I had a problem because I could stop for a few days. Like I didn't need it every day. Yeah. But when I did put it in my body, like all bets were off. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting pregnant at 18 years old, just before my 19th birthday. I was like so pissed off because I'm like, I can finally drink legally. (laughs) I'm pregnant. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I... (laughs) Um, I was really scared and I was homeless at the time. I didn't have a place to live. I was just kind of crashing on people's couches. Um, what was your relationship like with your family at this point? I had moved out of my mom's house and I was, um, staying with my aunt at the time working with, um, a friend of hers and kind of just in between, like I'd stay at some guy's house and whatever. And, Mm -hmm. um, me and my mom had a really hard relationship. We didn't really get along for most of my life. I spent, a lot of time taking care of my little brothers and um, I didn't really have a life and I really resented her and I resented them for that. And, you know, I was taking my brothers everywhere with me when I'd go hang out with friends. And as a teenager, like nobody wants to hang out with like five and six year old kids. Right. So. No, and you're like, you should be a kid, you know, you shouldn't having be having to tote these kids around. They're not your responsibility. Yeah. So I I rebelled against that and moved out when I was 17 because I just couldn't take it anymore. Like I just wanted a life so bad. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't a good relationship. Um, I couldn't even have a conversation with her without fighting. I, I, you know, there's a lot of abuse and neglect and things that happened in my home. And I was around a lot of really shitty people growing up and the lifestyle that my mom had. And I mean, now we have a really good relationship. It's completely changed, but um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I ended up getting fired from my job after I I found out I was pregnant. Jesus. (laughs) So now I'm jobless, homeless, 18, pregnant, no boyfriend. In fact, I got pregnant by cheating on my boyfriend. No. So yeah, so that's where I'm sitting. And (laughs) so naturally I go to a strip club. (laughs) I end up (laughs) stripping pregnant. No. Yeah. Wait. Uh, to be While fair. you're pregnant, <laughs> you were stripping. Just this one time. I, I hadn't been a stripper before that. Okay. Uh, okay. But I, I had got babysat. My aunt was a stripper, so I used to get babysat okay. in the back of strip clubs. It was like home for me. <laughs> so okay. Yeah. Naturally, this is what very I, comforting. Yes. Yeah. Adult humans are supposed to do. So I need to be mature now. So I'm going to have to start stripping to take care of this baby. Right. Um, but no one paid me. I didn't make a lot of money. So I got kind of defeated and <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I made a little bit of money giving some guys massages, but yeah. Okay. So where anyway, were you stripping? Was um, it a brandy? It Surrey. No, it was like the pink flamingo. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like the worst. Um, it was not high class. I was not brandy's okay. kind of <laughs> work your way up to brandy's material. Yeah. Okay. So I had this moment like I thought I can't have this baby like I'm not I'm gonna have an abortion everyone around me told me like it's the irresponsible thing to do but I had this thing inside me that was like I have to like I just I couldn't see myself doing that Mm. 
And um, even though I thought it was the responsible thing to do and like, I'm homeless, I don't have a job, I can't take care of this kid. Um, mm-hmm. I was just like, I just something in me felt like I wasn't going to be able to go through with it. And I kept trying to use my brain to talk me out of that and be like, no, this is the right choice. But um, I got the ultrasound done the next day after stripping (laughs) to see how far along I was. And I saw this like little peanut with hands and like arms and legs kicking around in my belly. And you could even see like a little nose ridge. It was so tiny. And my aunt was with me and like she was one of the people that was going to come with me if I was going to get an abortion and was totally on board with that. And even she was having a hard time. Like, I don't know what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. I prayed for the first time since I was like, I don't even know, a teenager. The first mm-hmm. time I, I prayed that hard was for like this little girl to stop screaming when I was babysitting her. And I was like, God, if you make her stop crying, I swear I won't have sex till marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and she stopped crying and went to sleep right away. And now oh, I'm no, <laughs> you did not live up to your end of the deal. I did not. (laughs) (laughs) So I I pray again and I'm thinking God hates me, obviously, because I've done everything you're not supposed to do. And I asked for a sign and a literal billboard came up on the side of the road that said abortion stops a beating heart, like an actual sign. And so that was when I knew I'm like, I'm having this baby. And to this day, like, I think it was my life that was saved, not not necessarily my son's life. Like that was me that got saved that moment because I wouldn't be alive today to tell the story if I hadn't gotten pregnant, honest to God. I was on such a nosedive, right? Yeah. So uh, I got clean and sober for like a year okay. and everything was amazing. I thought pregnancy was really good on me. Like I just felt so centered and lovely and mm-hmm. I had I didn't connect the dots that maybe it's because you stopped drinking. <laughs> Go figure. So I've been pregnant twice after that, and pregnancy is not all sunshine and roses. And like... But yeah. yeah, so that was my first kind of attempt at sobriety, and I, I did really well, but I didn't have any kind of program. I didn't really call myself an addict or knew that I had a problem or mm-hmm. um, hang out with sober people or kind of get into that lifestyle. It was just I had a baby. I had to stop drinking. But as soon as I started hanging out with friends again, um, mm-hmm. I started working and I, I worked in a place that was like something out of Mad Men. Like they had bar fridges. It was an appliance store. And I swear to God, it was like an episode of Mad Men. Like it was crazy. There's people doing drugs in the bathroom and like <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god. It was awesome for me. I felt like right <laughs> okay. like living the dream. Yeah. Okay. So I start working at this place and things are going really good until I start drinking and using and mm-hmm and get back into that. And then it was really hard to keep my job. It was hard to show up at work. I was late all the time. I was hung over all the time mm-hmm. and um, ended up making really good friends with the girl that I worked with and she was into drugs and drinking. So I just, my, at this point, me and my son's father had broken up and I didn't have him on weekends. So I would go crazy on weekends and then try and like figure out the week. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, but this woman that I became really good friends with ended up assaulting me with her boyfriend on a boat. And what? I'd never been in a fight in my entire life. Yeah. So <laughs> this is okay. in the book I wrote, but it's kind okay. of where things as an adult took a turn. Yeah. Um, Holy cow. He, yeah, we were, I thought we were going on a boat cruise, but it turned out to just be like this little dinky 
boat that this guy had with no bathroom or anything. We we're watching the fireworks. So I'm dressed up like really yeah. nice. Yeah. And uh, they're kind of in sweats and like gross clothes. You have to like get naked, jump in the ocean if you want to go pee kind of thing. Like it wasn't glamorous whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Like I'm thinking yacht. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Or like one of those booze cruises, right? And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not what it was. Okay. So I did go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I was like in the water in my underwear, well, yeah. top underwear. And um, this guy jumps in after me. And so it kind of freaks me out. But I wasn't really thinking anything of it. But he was yeah. like coming at me. And then she gets pissed off and throws all of my stuff in the ocean, like my clothes, my purse, my phone, my wallet, like everything into the ocean. And so I'm like panicking. I had had a couple drinks, but I wasn't drunk by any means and I'm trying to like grab all my stuff and get back to the boat and I I got some of my stuff but my clothes were gone yeah and this and she took off and this guy comes up and he's like I'm not gonna give you a blanket or a towel unless you kiss me and like trying to get me to touch him and stuff and he was like groping me and I'm just bawling my eyes out like I've never experienced anything like this and then she comes back and sees him kissing me and starts beating the crap out of me and so I just like got into the fetal position and was like I don't know how to fight so I'm just gonna do this yeah totally so I ended up um going to the hospital and pressing charges and doing all this stuff but after that I suffered from severe panic and anxiety disorder yeah and I did counseling I tried to go back to work I tried to get my stuff together but the anxiety was so bad like I was I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023 say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. Really having a hard time functioning and the only thing that was helping me was alcohol. That was the only time I felt free from that. Yeah. So I really started drinking and um, again, within two years, like I was using drugs again. I was doing things I hadn't done since I was a teenager. Now I've got this baby. I've got grandparents like asking if they can take him and like not so I don't have this much responsibility because they don't think I can handle it um I stole my in-laws car and drove drunk to get to my friend's house because he said he had drugs like (laughs) I was just like totally back where I was when I was a teenager yeah and so I ended up going to film school which kind of changed everything for me like again just finding that thing that wasn't drugs that could make me feel like I, I can do this. I do, I do this well. Mm -hmm. Um, and showing up to work every day. I I lost that job that I had. Okay. Yeah. So I did that. I met, um, a really awesome guy. Things were going really good. I ended up getting pregnant again. And then I got postpartum depression from that pregnancy. My son was born two months early. It was really, really hard time. Yeah. And that song, We Can't Stop by Miley Cyrus, came on the way, the radio. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I miss being in the line for the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just remembered what it was like to just 
forget about life and party and just have fun and not have to worry and not have stress and not have two kids and one kid in the hospital and like all those things. And just that thought like got me going again. Like I was just like, I'm going to go drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have anything to stop me. Like there was no, I had no concept of like, oh, what alcohol, like that I was an alcoholic or what it could do to my life or anything. So there was no real reason to not do it. I had a lot of reasons I could do it, but I didn't really know why not. Mm. So yeah, I picked up a drink and the first time I drank, I didn't even like it. And I put it down and I was like, that's weird. (laughs) It's never happened to me before. Yeah. Who is this? But the second time it was like balls to the wall. Like I just wanted to, I was crawling out of my skin and I wanted to escape how I was feeling. And I was at a party and I was like 50, 80 pounds heavier than I had been previous to the pregnancy. And it was uncomfortable in my own skin. And mm-hmm. so I like forced myself to get drunk. And uh, again, from that point to two years later, mm-hmm. I'm doing drugs again. I'm driving drunk again I'm coming home at five o'clock in the morning when my husband has to leave at 5 30 and trying to take care of two kids one of them which is a baby Mm. completely wasted and high and like leaving my kids to go meet a dealer and like just totally messing up and then I also ended up having an affair um with a high school boyfriend that ends up ended up living next door to me (laughs) Like just Whoa. my life was Jerry Springer. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I mean, that's how it is when you're drinking. It's like this crazy dramatic like saga that doesn't end. And you think it's like completely normal because that's just like life, right? Like yeah. everyone goes through this. <laughs> I just thought I was broken. I'm like, okay, mm. I'm one of those people who are born shitty and just can't figure it out. Like mm. I always compared myself to other people. I never felt like Like I felt everyone else had this book of life. They knew how to do things and I just didn't get it. Mm. So I was constantly comparing myself to people. And I remember thinking like, I want to be good. (laughs) Like I don't want to do this. I would break up with every time I messed up in a relationship, I just break up and move on. But now I had a kid with this guy. We lived together. Yeah. I was trying to push him away, but he wouldn't fucking go anywhere because he just like loved me unconditionally. (laughs) Those people that love us unconditionally. Jeez. (laughs) 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 yeah and this is like the first relationship I'd been in where I felt like the asshole like I was so used to dating jerks and like abusive men and yeah I was the one that was like a total dick and this guy's like so nice to me so I'm living this double life I'm doing wedding videography for a living so I'm at people's weddings having an affair like drunk I all the time like hiding drug abuse and lying to everybody I also worked with kids I did acting classes for kids and stuff and like so I felt like an imposter everywhere I'm like if anyone knew what I was up to they would fucking hate me they wouldn't let me around their husbands they wouldn't let me around their children like Mm -hmm. I'm such a fraud I just can't get my shit together I've tried to quit drinking I last about three weeks to a month and then I'd start again Mm -hmm. So I got to a point where I was like, I felt like I'd murdered somebody. Like, I can't take back all this shit I've done. There's no way I can make up for it. There's no way I can make it better. So I just, I have to die. Like, that's it. Like, everyone's better off without me. I'm a piece of shit. I don't know how to do life. Like, I can't, I can't live anymore. So yeah. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com A-S-G-G today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash A-S-G-G. Um, I, I lied on my mom's couch and I just spilled my guts and told her everything that I had been doing. And that was the first time I'd really been honest with anyone besides the guy I was sleeping with. That wasn't my husband. <laughs> okay. Um, it's funny how I can laugh about that today, but that gave me a little bit of relief of like, I don't have to carry these secrets by myself anymore. Like, mm-hmm. and she didn't look at me like I was disgusting or whatever, or tell me that you're, that's fucked up. You need to like jump off a bridge, which is what I expected everyone to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, she told me about a friend of hers that went to a 12 step program and got helped by it and changed her life. And she said, if you get sober, I think your husband, he was my husband at the time, but I think he'll forgive you. And I was just so desperate for forgiveness and so desperate for something else. I would try anything. So I kind of white knuckled it for a week and then I went into a 12-step program and thought, okay, I'm going to try help. And it was awkward and uncomfortable and scary and weird. And I didn't relate to any of the people in my first meeting at all. <laughs> I think that's but, everyone's experience. Yeah. yeah. But I did see something on the wall that changed my life, which said you're powerless over alcohol and your life has become unmanageable. Mm. And I'd never thought it was alcohol that was my problem I thought I just was defective Mm. so to think that maybe it's because I'm powerless like I don't have a choice it's not up to me because if it was up to me I wouldn't be choosing this right Um, just that little thought kind of clicked with me and so I went to another meeting and I met some people around my age and sobriety and I really connected with them and I started finding like a tribe in recovery Mm -hmm. and yeah that changed everything for me like just learning about the disease that I had of alcoholism I I consider myself an alcoholic now and that I have a disease and it's something that I don't have control over like I can totally have control as long as I'm not drinking but as soon as I pick up a drink like all bets are off so yeah shit gets wild yeah Yeah. so that was life before recovery (laughs) that was a long story wow that holy cow I I had no idea what your story was. I mean, like I said, I've always been on the the opposite side, you know, and wow. So what, what made you continue? Because you, you have kind of, you know, tried to say, get sober, been sober for like maybe three weeks a month, but what, 
actually kind of stuck this time? I always compare it to kind of like a diet. (laughs) Okay. So it has to be a lifestyle change. Like it can't just be a white knucklet and my life's going to stay exactly how it is. And I'm just not going to drink because I I can't do that. There was too much trauma and pain and Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know how to deal with any feelings. So Mm -hmm. staying sober isn't appealing to me in that state of mind. (laughs) No, no. I had to learn. Feelings aren't really appealing to anyone (laughs) at any time in their life. (laughs) Yeah. However, they are there. (laughs) Exactly. And I didn't know how to deal with them. So, so my solution was alcohol for my whole life. Um, if I had a fight with my mom, I drank. If I like had a good day at work, I drank. (laughs) Like it was just my solution for everything. So I had to, I had to find a new solution. And for me, I found that in a 12 step program and really, um, reconnecting with that person I was before drugs and alcohol took over. Like Mm -hmm. I reconnected with my higher power. I, I I started going to church and doing things. I haven't really, landed on a religion or anything that I'm into but I really do need like a higher power in my life um prayer has been a huge thing for me I don't know why it works but it is like been so good for my anxiety (laughs) yeah I feel like it takes like some of the weight off your shoulders like knowing that there's something bigger than you out there like there has to be like look at look at where we live look at the things Mm. around us look at you know, just everything we have in our life, there has to be something just bigger than us. Yeah. I loved someone told me like, did you make the sun come up this morning? I'm like, no, (laughs) isn't there something bigger than you that's at work here? I'm like, totally. (laughs) Yep. I think I can get on board with that. So yeah, yeah, and I'm a bandwagon jumper. So like, <laughs> like my first set of friends in recovery were like all into crystals and like metaphysical stuff and whatever. So I got all into that. And then I got into like a Christian crowd and got all into that. And so I've kind of been finding where I sit now, especially with quarantine, because there's not all these like places to kind of jump into and become part of. Yeah. And to figure out what works for me. So I'm somewhere in between like Christian and crystals. I'm not sure exactly where, but. <laughs> Oh my God. That sounds like a fantastic Instagram account. <laughs> Christians and crystals. Yeah. That would be. Christians would like perfect. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Oh, well. but there okay. has to be some kind of like, I don't know. Someone would be interested in that. If you are. I, I'd hope so. I hope yeah. I'm not alone. That's like my yeah. worst fear. <laughs> you are never alone. Never. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're in you're in the Christians and Crystals situation yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what really keeps me going, well, first in early recovery, like it got worse. It got way worse before it got better. And my dad decided to tell me he doesn't think I'm really his daughter and oh. told me some really weird, messed up stuff that happened when my mom was pregnant. And it just like fed into that, you're not wanted, nobody loves you, like kind of feeling that I had. Yeah. And so I thought, this is what I get to drink over, right? And I, I'd call up a support and recovery and they'd be like, no, yeah. you can get through this sober. And I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Like, how am I actually supposed to process this? Exactly. Yeah. And then like right before my two months sober, <laughs> my aunt ended up getting murdered and I went to go check on her to see if she was okay with my mom. And we got there and the police were there and like, what? 
it was like the most horrific thing that's ever happened in my life. And again, I go home and I'm like, I get to drink over this. This is the thing. This is the one. Like, I'm going to get to drink over this. And everyone's like, no, you can get through it sober. And I stayed on the phone with people for probably three days straight. Like, just I didn't know what to do. So I just kept calling people because they told Mm -hmm. me to, even if it felt annoying. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I got through that. I got my two month chip. And then I was like, after this two month chip, I'm going to drink. But something about making it through that sober gave me this confidence where I'm like, okay, maybe I can make it through another day sober. Yeah. I went to Mexico in an all-inclusive resort and stayed sober. Like, Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's just like proving that I didn't need alcohol for these things. And then not only did I not eat, need alcohol, but I could get through them faster, better, healthier, happier mm-hmm. if I didn't pick up. Is it? The first kind of big grief I happened happened two months before my recovery. My my cousin committed suicide and it took me forever to recover from that. And it and I used it to sit in self-pity for months and to like drink and use and which is so like now as a sane person <laughs> sounds so ridiculous because he did that because of drug use. Like yeah. When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OSEAMalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. So, yeah. So going through grief in recovery was like different and it was better. And I felt supported and loved and cared about. And it was the first time I really felt like I belonged somewhere and that I had people that understood me. So that's kind of what really kept me going. Yeah. And now going through grief again, like this is my, my brother passed, um, August 19th and like my mom calling me. I've always, every time I'm in a meeting, they ask to pray for the alcoholic who's still suffering. I always pray for my brother. I always pray for him because like, he was just like me. Like he was just anxious and, you know, grew up in the same house I grew up in and trying to escape and, I knew how he was feeling and he kept telling me, I'm going to sober up when I'm 29 like you. Mm. And uh, so I'd always pray for him in the meetings and I always held on to hope that he was going to get it because I got it. I fucked up way more than he ever did. 
and I got it and I got to get into recovery. So I kept thinking like he's going to get into it. And I kept thinking about he's going to meet a really awesome girl. They're going to have babies. I'm going to get to be an auntie. And I just held on to that vision for him because I, I knew he couldn't see it for himself. And so every time I saw him, I'd like tell him what a great guy he is. And like, yeah. I can't wait to be an auntie when you're going to meet somebody. <laughs> like, yeah. Pull it out of him. Yeah. But I hadn't had him in my life really close for a really long time. Like we were very close growing up. Even when I moved out of home, my brothers would come over on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Like I was their dad or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we hadn't been close because I was in recovery and he was using and I didn't want that around me or, or my family. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was just devastating. And, you know, I, I got to my mom's house as fast as possible and just... I can't even describe what it's like to see a sibling like lying there and not alive. And I just like held him and I prayed and I first I begged God to like make him better. <laughs> and then I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I started praying for his story to save people, like just to make a difference. Cause like this can't go to waste and nothing in my recovery has gone to waste. And so I know he, I knew he was going to use it or he is going to use it. And I've just kind of held on to that. And it's so fucked up because, like, I I don't want to drink. I don't want to use. I don't want to treat people like shit. I'm in pain and I'm definitely sitting in self-pity a lot. But I'm not using it to, like, be a shitty person. And I want to use it to help people. And I'm like, who the fuck is this? Like, I couldn't have a fight with my mom without picking up a drink and now I'm going through the worst thing I've ever been in my life and I'm trying to find hope and inspiration through it and um like that's what sobriety and recovery has given me I wish to god my brother could have got this but I'm really glad that I'm here to tell like his story and that like god gave me a platform to help people in recovery it's just I can see how how he's working in my life um, through my whole recovery. Like when I look back, nothing has gone to waste. No shitty thing I've done, no affair that I've had, no drink that I've had has gone to waste. It's all been used to help somebody else or to help me grow into a better person. So that's what keeps me sober today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, woo. Oh, Brooke. My heart just goes out to you, and oh, I just, I, I just know how you feel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, like everything that you do, like thank you for sharing your story and helping other people. Um, speaking of helping other people, can you tell us about Seek Purpose? Oh, that's a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Um, I mean, yeah, because that's like how you, your platform of how you are helping people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Seek Purpose was um, born out of depression. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, on bed rest for my last pregnancy with my daughter and uh really depressed and I couldn't see I didn't feel God in my life anymore like I just felt so dark 
and I prayed in the shower and I'm like, God, I just need to, I want to feel you again. I need purpose. Like I need something in my life. I, I want to feel meaningful again. I just felt so useless. Mm. And I said, and I asked for something like, I just need something. And, and I heard this voice. I don't know if it's craziness or <laughs> whatever, <laughs> just my own thoughts or whatever, but it said your story, my glory. And so Ooh. I was like, damn, what is this? <laughs> Yeah. Like, is it a book? Is it a um, YouTube channel, a podcast? Like, I didn't really know what was going to come of it, but I called um, my mentor, my friend, Suzanne, and I told her about the vision. And she was like, I need to be a part of this. And we had no idea what it was going to be. But we kind of sat down and thought of a bunch of names. She didn't want to, originally, it had like a little cross and it was like, Your Story, My Glory. And it was very Christian. Yeah. Okay. She was like, you know, I really want to help people in recovery. And I don't know if everyone's going to like jump on board. To that yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so I with a bunch of names and uh, it was actually my husband's idea to do seeking purpose, which we turned into seek purpose because it was easier for emails and handles and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we've been on this kind of experiment, just sharing our stories and seeing what can come of it and how we can help people. And it's been so incredible. And I've gotten to meet so many amazing people like you and and just like everybody has these incredible stories you'd never guess, especially when you know them in recovery. You're just like, yeah. no, how did that happen? And totally. Well, you're just seeing like their highlight reel, like on yeah. Instagram and stuff like that, and how like everything looks like fine and dandy, but like you don't know like how they've gotten to that point, you know? And I think even you, how you've explained, you know, at your lowest point. You've, you've used that and really created something to inspire and motivate not only yourself, but like other people, get mm-hmm. bring people together, which is so important. Yeah. Um, and then you also wrote a book. I did. Yeah. Like, <laughs> tell me about that. So it's called Not Today Fear. I actually wrote it in quarantine. Um, I got horrific panic attacks, like just total like panic anxiety relapse from way before when I like couldn't even leave my house and had to drink or whatever yeah because like the whole world was ending and everything's terrifying and scary so totally so unstable yeah so I didn't know if I was going to get through it but and I kept thinking I need to go on medication I need to like do something my aunt like gave me CBD oil and all this stuff but I was too panicked to even take CBD oil because I was so afraid Mm. it was gonna like affect me yeah so I was like hitting my prayer and meditation and my recovery, everything I've learned to try and not to consume something to make me feel better. Like anything mm-hmm. I could do because I was terrified of taking medication. I had a really bad experience on it before. I mean, I, I would do it if I need to, but I thought I'll try everything else first before I do that. So I accessed some free emergency counseling that was available over the phone. And I did um, like prayer and meditation and picked up my, my big book that has all my recovery knowledge and stuff that I've learned is all from there so yeah I started doing all the things they said and I started feeling so much better and it was only two weeks before I started being able to like feel normal again and Mm. and function and really be able to take care of my kids and like be functional again yeah so feel like a human and I was through that I was still hosting the podcast and doing all these things even though I was feeling that way so I so I decided to write about it and just talk about not letting fear stop you because like I've lived with fear for so long. <laughs> it stopped mm. me from like leaving my home for a long time. I couldn't even get on a sky train because I was so afraid of being enclosed in something like, yeah. 
And I always thought I wasn't going to be anything because of my anxiety and that I wasn't going to be able to like live my dreams or live in my purpose because I had anxiety and panic disorder and it was always going to affect me. I couldn't be an actress. I couldn't do all these things because I was going to freak out and like ruin their set or ruin their play or whatever. So can't anyways. So all those limiting beliefs stopped me for so long. And so there's been a huge transition from that point in my life till now. So I started writing about about that. And so it really is a book about overcoming your fears and anxieties and not even overcoming them, but doing it anyway, like be afraid, mm-hmm. be anxious and still show up. And that's the only way I found to actually cure that anxious person inside of me is to be like, we can do this. Like totally we can be anxious, but we're still doing this. Yeah. You can be scared shitless, but I'm still going to do it. Yeah. yeah. And it's not maybe going to be perfect, but whatever, what is? I did almost yeah. faint. I, <laughs> when my, uh, when my daughter was born, we booked a Huggies commercial and then they asked me to be on the commercial too. Yeah. And so I was all excited. This is like everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> weird dreams. <laughs> I like show up. I booked the commercial. I got through all these auditions and everything. Totally fine. The day I show up on set, I'm having a full on panic attack. No. Like, so bad I thought I was gonna pass out and my arms are like this I'm trying to hold the baby and everything and then she wakes up so they get me to breastfeed her yeah and then they're holding the thing and I'm like do I get paid extra for nudity (laughs) 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 that's hilarious almost passing out not like stiff as a board they didn't even use me because like (laughs) it was so awkward (laughs) like who is this corpse holding a child but I did it. <laughs> oh my god, you did the damn thing! And I got paid five hundred bucks to sit there and have a panic attack. <laughs> yes, you can get paid to have panic attacks. You're living proof. Oh my god, that is so funny. Oh, Brooke, thank you so much for sharing your story and your experiences and your knowledge. This has been such a lovely conversation. It has definitely made me um, look at myself, that's for sure, and my relationships. Mm. Um, Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? (laughs) So on Instagram, we're at Seek Purpose Now as the podcast Instagram page, or I'm at at Sober Wife Style. Love that name. (laughs) The best handle ever so cute I love it and we're actually um on TikTok we're at sober lifestyle and we just are rebranding our clothing line to be sober lifestyle cute yeah so I think it's gonna be fun we want to bring a collection of a lot of um different recovery brands together and like promote the recovery lifestyle the sober lifestyle yeah um and yeah just bring the community together so people can find places to wear the recovery out loud totally I love that (laughs) I I love that I love that whole idea you know wear it loud and proud Mm -hmm. um I think that's such a fun way to do it and you're wearing your summer girl sweatshirt I am I love it I love it I never got to really cute on you I feel like (laughs) (laughs) you went to silver girl university that's right (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's so cute thank you so so much thank you for having me this is awesome I told you it was a tearjerker. I just really, really want to thank Brooke again for being so open and honest about her experience with her brother and sending a little prayer for her and for him and to anyone else out there who is suffering with addiction or 
know someone, a family member, a friend, a loved one, anyone who is suffering, let's all say a little prayer for our loved ones tonight because I certainly am. And I think, you know, just listening to Brooke's side, I got to be honest with you, I was just, I've been so angry, I think, lately. Um, It's really hard to watch someone that you love so much and know has so much potential hurt themselves on a daily basis. So I want to thank Brooke again for just bringing a little more compassion and empathy and love into my life and into this episode. As always, thank you guys so much. I couldn't do this without you. Please make sure to rate, follow, and subscribe to the podcast. We love to hear your feedback. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Sober Girl's Guide. And don't forget to check out the blog at asobergirlsguide.com. We have you locked and loaded for anything and everything you may need in your recovery and sobriety journey, from workbooks to challenges to even sober girl swag, we have you covered at a sobergirlsguide.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.